Hey, welcome to Craft Talk. I'm Tito Mendoza, and this podcast is a collection of interviews with people of different disciplines, ranging from creativity, business, and lifestyle. By diving into my guest's story and learning about how they approach their craft, I hope that these conversations help you find different ways to improve your own. Enjoy. Okay. Cool. Let's do, do it. it. Let's do it, Tito. Let's do it. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Craft Talk. I'm your host, Tito Mendoza. And for this episode, the subject is all about presentations. Joining me today is the founder of iSimplify Presentations, Hiba Abusiru. My goal is to learn about her insights on how we can present information so we can make a bigger impact with our message. I'm very excited to talk with her, so please welcome to the podcast, Hiba Abusiru. Hi, Hiba. Hi, Tito. Thanks for jumping on. For sure. I think this was in the in the books, but life takes you into like sharp turns and you get distracted by other things, but this was always in the back of my head. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I'm really glad that we finally got to schedule it because... Yeah, we've been Instagram buds for a little while now. So it's really cool to see your channel grow. Um, I noticed the consistency of the information you're sharing. And you're like Clubhouse and LinkedIn famous. So it, it's an honor to have you on Craft Talk today. Oh, thanks, Tito. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I never meant to be famous. I'm already famous. <laughs> but <laughs> but that, like, the plan was not to be famous. The plan was to share things that I love. You know, we can, we can talk more about that because I have so many, like, diverse interests in life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's let's just start with a little background then. Can you share a little bit about what you do, uh, where you're located? What does I Simplify presentations mean to you? Okay, so I live in Toronto. It's really a funny story how I started I Simplify. It's not like a, a, something genius or, or crazy. I started because... During the pandemic, I was bored and I really like my schedule was clear and I wanted to do something other than sports or like socializing or over like Zoom calls. So I already had this interest in design, in communication and presentation, something I did for a long time, mm -hmm. but I never actually pursued it. I didn't like write an article and I always looked at those people who write LinkedIn articles as people who are so smart and so collected and so grounded they they sit and they write an article i can barely write a tweet at mm -hmm. the time <laughs> okay i swear so and then my sister was nagging me she's like hiba i think you should share this with the world and see it, where you go with it and this is how it started it started with me putting articles on linkedin talking about presentations mm -hmm. And then today, when I look back two years ago, how I started, it's, there's so much has changed between then and now that I don't only talk about presentations now. I talk about so many other things. I try to boil it down at the end of the day and connect it back to presentations, but it's so much more than presentations now. But I, I'm, I'm connected with the name. I like the name. I simplify it. I know people make fun of it because it's like, oh, iPhone, iPad, iOS, you know, yeah. just like try to get out of the... Apple mindset. <laughs> right. No, but it's it's simple, like in sometimes simple works. When I see I simplify presentations, I already know exactly what your mission is. So you started two years ago and I'm always curious about like at the time when you were like thinking of something to do, was presentations the first thing or were you thinking of other avenues? It was presentations where I started. It then grew to be about 
personal branding, communication, uh, learning, curiosity. Initially, it was presentations. It's still, it is still presentations. Of course. But I'm not trying to limit myself to that because I find it hard to change people's mindset around what presentations mean. Everybody thinks it's PowerPoints. Mm -hmm. I think of it more than just PowerPoints. Ooh. What do you think of it as? Can you expand on that? Well, if you think about it, like presentations historically, and I don't have I don't have the historical information, but in my head, I think it's the oldest form of communication. Mm. Aside from writing letters to somebody, it's communicating to other people within a limited amount of time and making sure that the message is understood, is accessible, it's targeted towards these people. And I think that's what presentation is. I mean, kudos to Microsoft for making presentations all about PowerPoint. And yes, you can associate it with PowerPoint presentations, but the the only problem is people are are not very conscious of the mistakes they do when they create PowerPoint slides. Mm -hmm. And that's how you associate the word presentations to something like really bad and boring. Yeah, because like if if you were able to view presentation as a very holistic thing of how you even communicate on the phone or or email or, you know, sharing a story, storytelling, rather than just like, oh, presentation is just like, a bunch of slides it makes a bigger impact when you can look at it differently like that or, or at least how you view it exactly i think the key word you said is holistically looking at things from a wider perspective right what made you gravitate towards focusing that energy into presentations is that something that you've just always liked to do do you present a lot is it like growing up you were in you were like extroverted and wanted to like present like what was the ethos I love this question because I've been thinking about it. I've been questioning myself. Like, I've been asking myself, am I really an extrovert? You know, it's a spectrum, right? You Mm -hmm. can't, not everybody is like at the two ends of the spectrum, absolutely extroverted or introverted. Sure. But I remember when I was a kid, I used, we used to have these, I don't know what they call them. Um, You would stand up in front of the entire like school and recite a poem or read something or tell people about an article. And I used to do that when I was a kid. It was terrifying, Mm -hmm. but I used to do it. I used to like it. Uh, We used to do it a lot in university when I was doing my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. But in technology, I found that in my early in my career, I didn't really do like deliver presentations. The the couple of years before I um, started this, I simplify. I was helping people prepare presentations, but I didn't get the chance to present in front of people. So it's a really, it's not like, it's not linear, I think, Mm -hmm. how I came to start this thing. It's not linear. It's not like I was six years old and I realized that I want to be a presenter for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were just like periods of dead silence, no presentations, no mass communication. You would just send emails and read other people's emails was just like offline communication. The other reason I wanted to do communication, sorry, presentations, is um, it's a workshop that was founded by two engineer 
listeners at Google. It's called I'm Remarkable. And the uh, the intent behind this workshop is to help people, women and people from um, minority groups, to talk about their achievements, to mm. self-promote. And when I look at how I used to think before that, my life before that workshop and my life after that workshop. Wow. And it's not like, again, when you go to the workshop, they don't do anything, subst- they don't change your life. It's just these small things that are mind- mindset changing. To be conscious of the fact that you have been conditioned not to talk about yourself or your achievement or present to others. And then all of a sudden, someone coming to you and saying, this is the only way you can be visible. In one of the books, I think it was you who I talked to about, it's mm-hmm. um, Austin Cleon. He yes. has these three books. He said, if you want people to find you, you have to be foundable. Mm. Show your work, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think presentations is one way of doing it. I think it's just probably the easiest way for people to be found. Yeah, that's always the struggle, right? Sometimes, depending on where you fall in the spectrum of introvertedness to extrovertedness, you can convince yourself that if you're too introverted, like which I consider myself too introverted, you can convince yourself that you're not a good presenter or you're not a good communicator or storyteller. But that's just simply not true. You just have to equip yourself and also have the confidence to be able to do it. And that's really interesting that even just a workshop like that, it, it made such an impact in your life that you viewed yourself in a different light. Exactly. You know what? I like what you said. It's You're just, you're very eloquent with um, this interview. Oh, thank you. I like when you said introverts, there's two key words for me here, introverts and confidence. Mm-hmm. Again, we've been conditioned to think of presenters as people with confidence, charisma, and to be extroverted. So like people who own the stage. Mm-hmm. And everybody tells you about body language and how to own the stage and pace yourself and use your hands. I, in the last one year, learned that that's not true, at least for me. Interesting. Okay. I actually think that introverts are better presenters than extroverts. And the reason is that they're very observant, they self-reflect, and they do a lot of homework before they present. Like they study the material, they focus on the message they're presenting, then focusing on, okay, I'm just going to rely on my charisma and my muscles to show people that my message, to convince people that my message is important. The introverts I worked with, they focus on their message, and I think this is where it's the message you're you're delivering and the value you're giving to mm. other people. You can be a great entertainer on stage, yeah. If that's your if that's what your goal is, but if you want to convey or deliver um, a valuable message, you have to work on your content. So that's the first part of being an introvert. Mm-hmm. The second part is something that I started talking about maybe starting May or June last year. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's an unpopular opinion. Confidence in presentations doesn't matter. Competence breeds confidence. Okay. So if you have a strong message, Mm -hmm. if you know your content, if you know what you want to talk about, I don't think confidence is going to matter to you. You don't have to think about it. You just have to think about delivering a good message. And by that, I don't mean saying that you just have to tell people everything. No, I mean that you have a good message Mm -hmm. that has value and you learn how to communicate it with people. Don't think about confidence. It's it's very hollow. I don't like when I sit and think how do I how do I train people to be confident when they present? Hmm. I can't simply think of a way of helping people to build the confidence. Like confidence is is a symptom of something else. 
Ooh. And, and, and it's, it's, that's worthy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, it's, if you know your stuff, if you know your message, if you know your material, the symptom is confidence. Absolutely. And think of Brene Brown, for example. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown is introverted. And in one of her podcasts, she said that she works really hard before delivering a presentation or a message. She just like writes it down, she corrects it, she memorizes it. But I never heard her talking about thinking how she's going to look confident. Or if people are going to think they're confident, she's confident, or if she thinks she's confident. She has a message and she thinks people deserve to hear the message and it has value. She just wants to work hard on delivering a good message. Mm. So it's almost like trying to focus too much on finding my confidence is just a little bit of a distraction when you could put your energy towards learning your material. Exactly. Yes. You mentioned that you used to help a lot of people prepare for a presentation. Do you think you benefited because you weren't the one outwardly presenting? You were involved in the preparation of it. It kind of allowed you to stew in like understanding what a good presentation means. Yes. And it takes off the pressure of being in front of the people who you sh- who this presentation will be delivered to. A colleague will ask me to help him with or her with a slide, and then I, I'll ask questions. Okay, so what are we looking for? What answers, what questions, what data, etc. And then I help that person or help them create the slide or the presentation deck, and then they present it. They come back and they say, okay, so they've had a couple of other comments. It's just compound learning. Every time you help somebody create a presentation or volunteer to help someone, you learn. I do not think it's easy to just be behind the keyboard and create the presentation than than standing in front of other people and presenting it. They both are important. For the person who's creating the slides, in my case, I had to get a very good understanding of these people that this presentation is going to go to without ever meeting them, mm. without knowing who they are, what they want. I just... I learned to ask questions because there's no way for me to make an assumption, right? Right. Yeah, it's almost like two separate skills. Like, I don't know if people would assume that creating a presentation is the same as same skill as doing the presenting itself. Are you more comfortable being the preparer of a presentation or being the presenter of the presentation? I like both now. Okay. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like you said, it's two separate skill sets. Mm-hmm. You can have both. You can have. You can choose to have either. I chose to have one of them before, but now I like to create my own content. It's such a liberate, liberating experience to deliver something that you yourself chose the content of. Mm. And you chose the narrative of how you wanted it presented. Exactly. So when you are the presenter and the creator of the content, you have so much freedom and autonomy to design the story or the storyline that you're presenting. And I'm not just talking in terms of slides, just in general, any Mm -hmm. presentation. Right. When you're helping people or clients with their presentation, and it doesn't mean just the PowerPoints, it means just like overall, what are common mistakes people make when making a presentation? Hmm. Okay. So one, there are visual mistakes Mm -hmm. and there are non-visual mistakes. So the common visual mistake is making their presentations not accessible. And by not accessible to the average person, putting too much text, too many data visuals, using colors that are not visually accessible. That's a very common mistake with creating presentations. The non-visual mistake, I'm not sure I could call it a mistake. It's just, like I said, 
people focusing on confidence, mm-hmm. uh, people not knowing their audience enough. And I know it's just really cliche within presentations, like know your audience, learn your audience, and all of that. It's very hard. It is. When somebody comes to me and say, I want to present this to my board of directors, for example, and I want this on the slides, I can take things at, at face value and help them create it, having the assumption that they've asked the questions themselves and they know what their people, the audience needs. Mm-hmm. But I find that a common mistake is that, is that people make assumptions and they don't ask their audience for different reasons. Like they don't want to look stupid. They don't look like they didn't do their homework or they just simply don't have time to do it. That's a very common mistake is that you're creating the presentation for yourself, not for the people you're presenting to. And it's because of all those different reasons I mentioned. Mm. Wow. So it requires a lot of research and discovery to be able to actually pinpoint your audience. When you're creating a presentation, whether it's just like a for, for corporate jobs or, or your Instagram, do you do kind of like a audience discovery phase? Yes. So I do some exploratory work. Mm-hmm. I do some research. I go look at what other people are doing and I learn from them. And I think that's also important when you create presentations. I'm not sure who said that um, there's no work that is original. We're building on top of each other's work. Right. Whatever like genius work that you've seen, like Google was not the first search engine, right? Right. We had other search engines before. So you have to think of your content in that way. Take some, take the work of somebody who probably presented to the same audience and just build on top of it, improve it, add something to it. I do encourage people to have curiosity because mm-hmm. curiosity reflects passion and interest. Sometimes it comes across as annoying. That was one of my biggest problems at the beginning of my whole career. If you go to my website, I, I recently created a page called My Story. And I have I, it up right now. I was about to ask yes. you about it. <laughs> and in the first paragraph, I, I mentioned that I worked with people that did not invest in my learning mm. and they dismissed my curiosity because it was annoying. Why do you keep asking me why I'm doing this? Why do you keep asking me about who's looking at this email or who's looking at this report. Okay, so I'm creating a report for every single day. I never ask you who's looking at it or why I'm creating it. That's curiosity. So I encourage people to have that curiosity because the opposite is just indifference. And honestly, I'd rather be hated than have people indifferent to my content. Indifferent people, they don't come back to you. So if you're presenting to a group of people and all they're doing is just nodding their heads and not asking you questions, they're just not interested. They're indifferent. And that's just worse. There's no way, there's no room for you to grow. You can't ask questions. You can't get something out of somebody who's indifferent. Yeah. And that's that's my relationship with curiosity. I'm like I am married to the opinion that curiosity is important in any job, in any relationship, in any kind of work. I completely agree and and I think curiosity and asking questions is the only way to like learn about what everybody's trying to accomplish. And that's that's unfortunate that you worked with companies that didn't invest their time into facilitating kind of an environment to like be curious because I don't know I feel like if I was a business owner and somebody was asking genuine questions right and and I assume that's what you were doing you had genuine questions about something because you were trying to make something better you weren't just asking questions just to ask questions you were asking questions in order to be able to 
possibly create a better system. Correct. Yes. I'm very value. I'm very purpose oriented. I'm very value oriented. And if I think that I think I have limited time on earth. And I, again, I think this is also cliche. But if you think about it, time is a constraint. Mm hmm. And, it, and because it's the, the constraint that we all share in the world, everybody knows that they have limited time on Earth. Constraint is the source of creativity. If you had all the time in the world, there's zero, absolutely zero motivation for you to create something meaningful. Because you think, well, I have 600,000 years left of my life or yeah. infinite amount of time. So when I look at things that I'm doing and I don't understand them. I understand also that I have limited time in the world to learn things. So I start asking questions because I want to improve it. I want to find a better way to do it. And like they say, understanding the problem is half the solution. And the only way you can understand the problem is either read about it or ask questions or making assumptions is so dangerous. Yeah. I th I'm sure you've seen that at some point in your life. Sure. And it just like kind of wastes time too when you could have just asked the question rather than assume and make the mistake. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I can give you like, I'm thinking of like a hundred examples where... Mm -hmm. If people just asked me what I wanted, it would be just so much easier. We, we have people coming and saying, okay, there's, I need you to help me create a presentation or like present something, a report to somebody. And I want to give them this information. So the first question I ask, what exactly are they looking for? What's the question in their head? And people just throw their hands in the air. They're like, I don't know. I see. They just want the present. They just want a presentation, but no reason why they want the presentation. Yeah, we don't, exactly, we don't consciously think about it. Mm. I feel like we're sleepwalking, trying to accomplish things, trying to finish, like, check, check, mm -hmm. check, to-do list. <laughs> right. And that's where maybe you mentioned some of the potential mistakes that people might make. The, the easy one is the too much text on a slide, right? We all know back in school where we were doing presentations, <laughs> yes. you just copy and paste the paragraph that you typed out because that's the quote-unquote material. That's what you wanted to present. So you just copy and paste it. So when, when you see your fellow classmate presenting, what do you notice? You see them looking at the slide, not looking at the audience, and they're just reading their slide with no passion, no, no message, because they just decided to use it as a crutch. Yeah, yes, exactly. And that's actually part of the same mistake that you explained, is that we use our presentations as scripts. I don't, like, I don't want to be visible. I don't want to be seen. I want the slides to be seen, but I'm going to be in the background. And that's a huge thing because we are hardwired to want to connect with people and want to be visible. We want attention. Like we choose how we want the attention. Mm -hmm. I choose to have it through presentations and my Instagram and my personal branding work and all of that working with these people mm -hmm. and previously through Clubhouse. But I think people, most people want to be invisible when they present. They want the slides to be at the forefront and they want to be in the background. What is that? Like the number one fear is like public speaking. It's, it's. <laughs> yes, more than death. <laughs> right. So there, there's this thing where it, there's just like this, like in the DNA of like, I don't want to present. I think about a year ago, you shared a real video and you said, I'm here showing my face. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And I had this crippling fear of showing my face on Instagram. It, it means, I think, it, it, you know, I don't want to say it has no meaning, but we associate meaning to things. Mm -hmm. We associate meaning to showing my face or being live or presenting myself. I love that, that concept. I, I talked to a friend of mine 
because I was like you, where I was just like, I don't want to show my face. They just told me, dude, just show your face. Like, it's not a big deal. I don't know what it was, but like, just the simpleness of like, just show your face. It kind of shifted and transformed the way I presented. The more you can put yourself in front of it, and it's just the reps. When you get more reps in doing it, you get more comfortable in presenting it, even if it's not like the way you envision it to go, it's you're still doing it, and that's what matters. Yeah, and then you feed off of the energy of other people. Yeah, who they're like, oh, so this is how you look like in real life. Yeah, there's definitely more of a connection there. Like you add connection through seeing someone. Yeah, you know what? When I post something like not a video on Instagram, and I don't put a face of a person on the first card. It receives less um, engagement. I don't know the psychology behind it. I would want to learn. It's funny. It is funny. I think we want to connect and see people's faces. I think I want to look you in the eye and see how you, you know, you move your face. And I'm very animated. My like half of my half of my personality is in my eyebrows. Right. Like if you if we're on video now, you you would see it. <laughs> right. That's where it kind of lies, right? You can have boring material, but you can change the dynamic of that presentation by how you present it. Yes. How you put the story together. Right. How you how how you feel about the material you're presenting. There is a book called um it's called The Body by Bill Bryson. It's such it's a, it's very thick. It talks about all the different body parts and systems and a lot of people give up on on the book like two chapters in because it's very dense but bill bryson when he writes these scientific books he's just so invested he loves the material he loves learning so much that when i read the book i didn't feel bored because of the way he presented the information i wish all of the scientific books that we read in school were as interesting science doesn't have to be boring like uh, technical information when you present it doesn't have to be boring you can find ways to make it interesting that's kind of cool so he he wrote a scientific book but in like in like a specific tone yeah it's like really funny and he he didn't go into like the names of things the weird names he did mention a couple of you know, scientific terms or medical terms, but he focused on how, what do I want to know? Do I want to know that vitamin D is important and why is it important? And what are the main sources of vitamin D, for example, Mm -hmm. he's looking for, he writes for the people, he writes for the common questions that people have in their minds. And I'm thinking these are the questions he had in his mind when he was writing the book. When he was researching the book. So when you're presenting a material, if you yourself are not interested in the material, it's very, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be not easy for you to present it in an interesting way. And your audience will feed off of your energy. Sometimes they will be very disconnected and for, that's for different reasons. But I, I promise you, if you are invested in that presentation, you have like good energy. I think people will feed off of that energy and they will be more connected to what you say. Totally. Your company is called I Simplify Presentations. Talking about simplifying complex messages from a high level, how do you tackle a project? How do you distill it to a point where it's simple but effective? Oh boy, it's a difficult question, yeah. Tito. <laughs> this, is, this is like your life mission, right? It's to, <laughs> to 
to simplify. <laughs> and it, and that's like sometimes simplification might be construed as lazy or the easy way out. But I would argue that it, it's actually someone who's able to simplify has done such complex work. They, um, there is a quote. I'm not sure who said that. I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Say that again. Mark Twain. It's Mark Twain. Actually, what he said is, I did not have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. It takes so much more time to make something simple. Exactly, because it's so easy to put all of the information out there, but for you to, you have to reiterate, like, you have to create something and go back, go to sleep, go back to it and think of it again and try, put it out there, see what the feedback is, and then change it again, make it simpler. How do you boil down the, in, the idea that you want to communicate to the simplest form that anybody can understand? So there is a term called ELI5, explain like I am five. Oh, yeah. Right? How do you explain this very complicated concept to somebody who's five years old? And five years old are not, like, they're smart. Mm-hmm. But how do you, because ex- we tend to use these big terminologies and synergy and, you know, just very complicated words. Can you explain it to me in plain English that a five-year-old would understand and connect with? So going back to your question, it's not, I don't think I have a, like a concrete strategy. I sort of go to the project or the initiative they're working on with a, a clean slate. I try to discover it. And based on what the problem pr- is and how it's presented itself to me, mm-hmm. then I'll decide how to simplify it. But I try to make, for the other person I'm working with, I try to break it down into smaller steps. Is when you think, oh, I have to present something or, oh my God, I have to build a personal brand. Most people do not know where to start or like how to start. It seems like a very daunting, huge thing. Even creating, you know, even creating five slides to present to an audience in your company, to me, it used to seem like a huge thing. What is it that you need to do to make this simpler? Mm-hmm. We start with maybe not the title of the presentation. Maybe let's start with what is the story you're trying to tell people? Like, I take it from the answer of that question, how we want to design or create the rest of the message. Right. Because I worked with people who want to put all of their data graphs on the slides. And I try to explain to them that people have limited capacity within the time frame of that presentation. You can't just give them everything. You want to focus on the story you're telling. And then if they want something else, then that becomes a different story. What would you say is the most challenging part of doing what you do with iSimplify? Hmm. The most challenging part? You and I both have doubts and insecurities about our own work how we present to the internet or the instagram world is this kind of like encouraging and like positive and you know willing to put ourselves out there right (laughs) but on the inside we're like freaking out we're like i don't know if i'm (laughs) doing this right or like should i even keep going Uh, i'm just curious like what your what you battle with within that because it's important work that you're doing that that you're sharing how to present better. But like, what does the other side look like to you? Um, one of the 
the the dark side of I simplify presentations. The dark side of I <laughs> simplify. That'll be on my next newsletter, T. Yes, <laughs> it's important. You got to hear about yeah. it. It's it, it it it's what relates to people. I think that's that's actually true. The dark side, <laughs> the dark side of I simplify. <laughs> is sometimes I feel that I'm repeating myself. Mm. I'm like a parent telling you on and on and on and on and on how you should do the right thing. I'm very conscious of it. I sometimes, I'm using air quotes here, self-help. I try to give people tips to Mm self-help. While I don't like self-help books, Mm. I don't read them. I don't necessarily understand why would somebody ask me to solve a problem without them understanding it. There's lots of self-help outside and I battle with that. People are looking for self-help. People think they want somebody to tell them what to do. But I think most people need to do self-discovery. And I myself do not know if I have done a a great or perfect, not perfect, like a great job at self-discovery. I can only teach you as much as I know. Right. I can relate to that completely. I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of somebody misinterpreting my this craft talk work as me on a stage trying to tell people how to do it. I'm very conscious of that and that's something I'm I'm insecure with. It's like I don't want to come off as someone who who knows it. If anything, I'm sending these kind of like little nuggets of information as a reminder for myself because I am so insecure about the work that I do that I need these reminders and I'm hoping that others feel the same. The dark side of craft talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I love about, you know, connecting with the people that I have connected with. I've found that those types of conversations that we have behind the scenes are really what keep us all going. I don't know. I don't know if it is the same for you, but I just find the people that I interview when they share their quote unquote dark side of whatever craft they're talking about. I, I feel it. I feel like I get it. I'm I'm on the same boat as you, but in like this different kind of area yeah yeah exactly and another another side i just thought of like mm-hmm. another dark side is i don't want to come as a person who's unauthentic mm-hmm. and that's such a big word that i don't know the meaning of yet like fully presentation seems like a really serious business <laughs> yeah right and everybody on instagram wants to be cool and hip and fun but do i always want to put like fun content on instagram and then i go to linkedin and i'm a different person i'm just like really serious and i talk like business talk <laughs> the linkedin how can the I, linkedin tone <laughs> the linkedin tone and everybody do how do i like am i disconnected from who i am mm. because i am presenting two sides of myself in two different platforms i battle with that all the time cuz i want to be who i am i am really i'm i'm a crazy 6 year old child my content on instagram to a very to a certain extent these funny videos that I started posting, these represent me. This is who I am. And am I going to lose business if I put that kind of stuff on LinkedIn? Are people not going to take me seriously because of it? Like, what are they going to say? Am I boring people to death with this all feelings and vulnerability and these like books about memoirs that I post about? I battle with this and I, and I, every time I post something, I hope that 
if it at least connects with one person in the world, then I'm satisfied. I'm putting it out there. I also remember one of your really funny videos that says, um, it says people are looking for so many likes on their videos. They, they're like, okay, I got 20 likes. Uh -huh. Can you imagine if 20 people walked into your house? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Like you said, if one person has connected to something you've shared, that should be enough. And that's something that we're trying to reprogram in our heads that you don't need a million people to connect with whatever it is you're presenting. You just need one. And if that one is just you, then you've still done the job. Yeah, I like that. Imagine a world where that could be real, <laughs> you know, because I'm not saying it's, yeah, that's how I really feel and I truly believe it. But if we can think of it that way, that would be huge. I think so. Yeah. So that's, I battle with this all the time. The metrics of growth. What does growth mean for I Simplify? Is it more followers? Is it more business? Is it me learning something? Is it me connecting with other people? Exposure, validations, all different things. And we have, we all have those different needs. We want to be validated. We want attention. We want to see progress in the work that we do. So everybody thinks that growth means more followers. But what is growth to me? What does success look like to me? How do I want to grow? This is kind of like the perfect segment to the final question. What is something that you're currently working on to get better at? It can be personal. It can be for I Simplify presentations. What's something you want to work on? I think I want to work better on finding out what is it that people struggle with and talk about it. And I also want to see if I am myself struggling with it. Just like you said, sometimes the message I'm putting out there is a reminder for myself to do it. So when I talk about, for example, difficult conversations, I personally struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Content I put out there for difficult conversation is also a reminder for myself on building boundaries and negotiating and mental health care and all of that. Yeah. So I want to work better at having difficult conversations and managing them. I don't have one thing specific in mind. I, I want to read all of the books in the library. That's what all I want to do. Just like all of it. <laughs> I would just library. want to eat them. Yes. <laughs> I have like a stack of book in front of me. I have six books. I, I just like, I, I, I grew this um, appetite for reading last year mm -hmm. and it just keeps feeding. Like every book feeds off of the other one. And I just want to learn. That's what I want to do. I want to learn as many things as humanly possible. Yeah. And that's what I want to, I don't know what it's going to look like. I want to learn things. Yeah. I don't know what they are. Just want to learn them. Yeah. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Yes. No, that's, that's amazing and, and beautifully said. And I think your natural curiosity is a reason why you're good at what you do. It's really encouraging to hear that, especially with the knowledge that you and I and other people that I've connected with have that dark side doubts yet the passion and the curiosity and the love for sharing ultimately kind of wins out over that dark side there's no other option but to keep going so you might as well share some of the insecurities with people that you trust and then keep going and try to do the best work that you can and i and i i feel and i see you doing that so i really appreciate your honesty and your curiosity today in um sharing your story and your process thank you tito thank you for the opportunity uh this has been on my literally not just metaphorically on my to-do list i have like an entry says talk to tito about a podcast yeah 
And right now, I just I can check that off my checklist. No, you did you did great because I've been slacking on on scheduling something, <laughs> so it it worked out both ways. Where it's like, okay, cool, like we've been tr- meaning to schedule this for for a long time, so it it's really good. Before we go, how can people get a hold of you online? check out your work. I know you also have an online course available now too, right? Right. So the best way to reach out to me or to take a look at, uh, see my content is through my website, isimplifypresentations.com. I have the links to all of my social. I'm mainly active on LinkedIn and Instagram. I send weekly newsletters. I also post them on my website and LinkedIn. And uh, my online course is also on my website, there's a link there. It's mainly about personal branding and presentation, self-promotion. Um, something I'm really, really proud of. It's a dream come true for me. I'm going to read a little excerpt from your uh, website. Okay. This is a Heba original right here. <laughs> Whatever it is that you like to do, your investment in yourself and your learning is the best investment there is. Whatever that looks like for you. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. That's that's the way to end it. I think that was that was a great way to end that conversation. Invest in yourself and have he will help you. <laughs> Thank you, Tito. <laughs> Perfect. All right, my friends, we're out of here. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Craft Talk. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Mm-hmm.